wrapping up First Timothy chapter 6, and we are going to dive into verse 20 and 21, but first we're going to have a little round of prayer. Hanson, could you have prayer for us to get us started? Of course. Dear Lord, please help us to, uh, as a result of this night, uh, develop a better and deeper understanding of you and your will that you have for this world and for us. And please help us to share this knowledge that we learn to, with others. And in your holy name, amen. Amen. All right. Beck, I'm so glad you're here because I need help recapping last week. <laughs> Do you have any gems of knowledge from last week? I know we were talking about laying our treasures up in heaven versus here on earth. Uh, anything more profound you can think of than that maybe? At the moment, I can't. Okay. Jimmy Stewart, you can't take it with you. Exactly, right? We can just sum it up that easily. Um, so we're going to dive into verse 20 and 21. Um, Beck, are you free to read those for us? Or Jonah? It's going to take me some yeah. time to pull up a Bible. I can read. No worries. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. Oh, Timothy. <laughs> I love how you just kind of, I can just kind of hear him saying that as he's writing. I thought it was interesting. Have we actually looked at what Timothy's name actually means? No, do you happen to know? <laughs> I do. It actually means dear to God. Ah. And I just, I thought that was really beautiful. So Dear one to God, keep that which is committed to you dear, right? Just kind of very poetic. But it also reiterates kind of uh, what we see, you know, in Genesis, we are made in the image of God. We are dear to him. And I just love that. So keep that which is committed to thy trust. What would that be? He was the leader of the church in Ephesus at this point in time. But it could also mean uh, other things, I guess. What kind of things might those be? Let's get a little more, more um practical hands-on here so if he is a leader of a church what kind of things would he um, have in his um, over overseeing duty potentially settling disputes as they may arise as we've read earlier there were quite a few disputes between differing factions within the church widows elders and whatnot yeah he's overseeing a congregation right he's overseeing the church family locally there but even more so he's overseeing the word of god and that's a very um very real uh item I guess you could say <laughs> to um, make sure is upheld is make sure it's cared for make sure that it's not um, being distorted like you like you mentioned the, in the beginning of first Timothy he's got these conflicts going on that they're trying to address 
So what might be some other things that he might be overseeing? Does anyone know? What does, what do our pastors oversee in their day-to-day walks? Does anyone know? I mean, what the do you word- think Jake does? <laughs> <laughs> we won't go into this since it's recorded, but... <laughs> <laughs> You know, the word pastor, you know, derives from the Latin for shepherd, right? And in a sense, you know, the, the you know, we, we tend to think of a pastor as like, oh, yeah, he's the guy that, you know, gets up at church once a week and, you know, lectures people for an hour. But, you know, the, the role goes a lot farther than that. He's really, the, his primary role is as a, I guess, a... Uh, a watcher or you know a guide for the the flock with which he's been entrusted i think yes you're getting there so a guide explain the guide to me a little bit more i mean you know certainly pastors aren't infallible but at the same time we expect them to have a deeper level of spiritual knowledge you know and or experience just from their dealings with people so they are better fitted than the average person, you know, if for, for in any general circumstance to to give advice, you know, to give advice or just to provide comfort, even maybe, right? And they're not necessarily the person that's always doing it, but you know, their role might be to direct to somebody else who would be better suited to the situation. Right. They're, yeah, they're definitely the overseer. They have a little bit more knowledge, but I think you hit it where they were guiding people, right? Their job isn't to, to just spew the information and that's it. We have a responsibility as the congregation, the body of Christ to um, become disciples, right? So they're um, entrusted to oversee the teaching edification the growth of their church family um, so that the message is learned properly is that the right way to say that (laughs) that the message is not distorted right and that it can continue to um, go to the ends of the earth basically right that's the mission And, but they also have a responsibility in the community, right? Outside of the church body. So they have a connection to be ambassadors, um, to uh, live and walk and talk the talk, if you will. So there's quite a bit on Timothy's plate. Actually, there's quite a lot on all our plates, if you really think about it, right? And the word guard could be potentially misconstrued. Um, Like the parable where the wealthy merchant gives to one of his servants five uh, talents, to one he gives two, and to another he gives one. And the person who has one, he's figuring that in order to guard it, he's just going to bury it till person comes back and that's not what I'm seeing as and as Jesus quite explicitly points out that that's not what he had in mind in the parable so kind of talking more about stewardship rather than guarding it I, I think that guard is a poor choice of words there so what would you put there or what would how do you read it Instead of guard, you said it was a poor choice of words. Wouldn't it be stewardship? Stewardship sounds more along the lines. Can you elaborate on that for me? Um, I mean, like where guarding is like one very specific, I mean, well, I guess it doesn't have to be specific, but um, 
stewarding where you 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 are the the resource that you've been given you are it's I don't know you're you're the master of it and so you can either be a good steward of it where you continue to put it to use uh, uh, that whether that benefits you and your family or the community or or the furthering of the gospel or the kingdom or whatever um, or you can just kind of guard it like Anson was saying and just kind of like bury it and and hope that you preserve it itself but you don't grow it and so I feel like stewarding is kind of more like cultivating a garden you're like okay I've been given these seeds and and the resource of this water and the soil and the sunlight I might let let me put this together and uh and kind of grow something new out of it why do you so I will just point out that in the King James version the word is keep and not guard. Um, I'm doing some quick looking here. And actually, the most common use of this word in the New Testament is with reference to the law or to a command that's given. So when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, Master, what must I do in order to be saved? And Jesus says, you know, obey the commandments. And he replies, I have kept these from my youth that word kept is the same word that's being used here so in a sense there there's an action involved right but it's more of this idea of watching over right or being vigilant rather than you know hoarding and actually that idea of stewardship is really interesting because the <laughs> i i i don't I haven't looked at a bunch of different translations for it, but in the King J James, it says, Oh, Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. But the Greek word actually, actually literally means like a deposit. You know, so in that sense, the guarding might make sense, but you know, if somebody gives you something to hang on to, and this does relate back to the parable of the talents, you know, if somebody gives you something to keep, you, you know, there's this expectation if you're the steward of it, that you're going to make the best use of it. And it takes some action on your part. Right. And it, the, I mean, obviously this is a continuation of verse 19, where laying up in store for themselves, I mean, there's going to be an action there as well. Um, so I think it, I mean, we're still pulling off of that thread. So what exactly was entrusted to Timothy's care? Is it referring to like the law and the fact that he's more or less kind of the governing, I hate to say it, but like the governing authority of that? Well, he's not really the governing authority or, though. The, 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 the Romans tended to be very jealous yeah. of their position. <laughs> he, he kind of governs over a lot of the affairs of the church. Romans didn't want to have much to do with that. He, but, or he was, is that what he's yeah. referring to? Or is it referring to opportunities? Or I think this is calling, excuse me, this is referring to his calling. I think this is referring to his roles of his position. And I think it's also the responsibilities that we have when we carry Christ's name. And I think it's just uh, also, well, that's the vertical and horizontal laws, basically, right? The, what we need to do for God, what we need to do for man. I, t I tend to read that, you know, when something is unclear, I tend to look at the context around it. And in this case, the implication later on in the verse, where, so verse 20 is timothy keep that which is committed to your trust avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called so in light of those i would tend to interpret this as the knowledge that has been imparted to him which could be distorted or destroyed by these other things that he's called upon to avoid 
And some of those were addressed in the chapter one or chapter two, right? Since this is that chiastic structure. Right. It's kind of making the round robin here. And there were people who were, you know, saying it's not good to eat this, it's not good to marry, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What are some ways he would would keep that or guard that? How might he do that? By sharing his knowledge with everyone. How does that help him to keep it? It uh, would discourage potentially other uh, false leaders from uh, trying to mislead other people in the church. And yeah. So you think if you say something loud enough, then nobody's going to challenge you on it? (laughs) Well, people can challenge you on it, but people can choose to believe uh, in the good news or they can, it, God gives us freedom of choice or free will um would be a better way of putting that but um and so if people choose to follow god then that's great and he's helping to these other people and helping them to keep the knowledge for themselves too so i think something that might put this into a little better context is within this particular culture and especially once we start talking about you know gentiles or non-jewish um converts to the christian church the literacy rate is extraordinarily low you know it's hard to get a it's hard to get a feel for it just because of the lack of records and how far back we're talking but there's some estimates that put the literacy rate in the in the you know greek and or the roman um empire at around like five percent compare that to a literacy rate today that's you know upwards of 95 percent and that's probably a low estimate so the the vast majority of what everybody is hearing or the vast majority of exposure that people in the church have to the word of God is listening to it from other people, right? In this case, the people that can read. So Paul's letter, even though it's addressed to Timothy, other people would have heard it, but it would have been read aloud to them. Odds are they probably didn't read it. So in that sense, Timothy would, as the pastor of the church at Ephesus, would have been, I guess, the conduit you know, I don't want to use the word gatekeeper, although effectively that's kind of what he was, right, in terms of the knowledge that was disseminated to his flock, so to speak. So Timothy had to be extraordinarily cautious, perhaps even more so than pastors nowadays need to be, about the message that he was delivering to the people. I think one of the ways you guard that, just like you do today, is prayer right if he doesn't have that lifeline it's easy to be bombarded by all of that um, other information that's floating around you and also how you're gonna have to have that connection when you go and talk to these people who are uh, either deliberately or unintentionally spreading these false ideas, non-biblical truths, right? Or non-biblical, they're not truths, tales. I don't know what you would call it. So um, he definitely needs to guard his own walk with the Lord, right? Just like we need to guard our own walk. Um, If we are severed, from the Lord, we're not going to be much use telling somebody else about the Lord, right? So I think that's one of the the reasons 
he also uses that word guard or keep. I, prayer is certainly important, but familiarity with material is also important. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So in that sense, you know, Timothy, it wasn't Paul's intent that, you know, he'd write this letter to Timothy. Timothy would read it once and says, oh, yeah, that's a bunch of good ideas and then sets it on the shelf and never goes back to it. Right. And in the same way. And where is it? Is first Peter somewhere there's that verse that says you know be ready oh what's up back he's gotta leave for a class oh okay adios um so there's that verse in first peter where he says you know be ready you know in all occasions to give you know an account of the reason that is within you you know for the hope that is within you so you know this idea of being all, always being prepared to explain why it is you believe what you believe is important for everybody. But again, because of the cultural context of the time where Timothy was de facto, you know, he conduit of information for these people, it was especially important for him. And it's still important for us today, right? Absolutely. And very viable. Okay. So what might those profane, vain babblings be? And do we still see any of that today? Or is that completely gone? I see a bunch of smirks and smiles. <laughs> Talk to us, Lauren. <laughs> Didn't it refer to these kinds of things early on in the book, like in chapter one, about the women going around? I think it was women. I think it was First Timothy. Awesome I, busy bodies. Was that it? Anyway, it just reminded me, like, oh, it's coming back around to what it started with. Yeah, to be sober, to be of good behavior. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Not brawlers. <laughs> and we don't see gossip in our world today, do we? <laughs> we don't see backbiting. We don't see anyone having an argument or discontent or discord in our churches or outside of them, right? <laughs> Is that everything of what it's referring to? Like just all of it. I, I took it as a general statement, mm -hmm. but I'm sure that there were very specific occurrences within that congregation, right? Just like anywhere, you've got specific items that you're dealing with. But I think in broad general terms, it's still very applicable. I, I tend to read this as entering into arguments that, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure we've all been there or witnessed something. And I've certainly been in my fair share of these and possibly caused some of them. But, you know, these arguments just for the sake of having an argument where the, the end goal doesn't necessarily lead to anybody's edification. Right. Mm. right. And yeah, there's it, a lot it, of that. You know, you'll, yeah, you're right. You'll see a lot of that where someone is professing to be a Christian and someone who is a non-Christian is starting to have this dialogue about religion or their beliefs or confused direction of what the Bible might, what they believe the Bible, excuse me, the Bible says, but then it becomes this battle of, I'm just going to be right. No matter what I say, I'm right. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Isaiah chapter four, isn't it, Jonah? And Isaiah, I, there's a chapter four in Isaiah, yes. I don't know what you're referring to. <laughs> and in that day, seven women shall take a hold of one man, saying, <laughs> uh, let us eat our own food and wear our own clothes, only let us be called by your name. How, 
what how are you relating that to the current topic well people professing uh people trying to call themselves christian and claim to have the christian knowledge but not living the christian lifestyle okay can you elaborate further for us so um you are you saying that's the profane that's a profane babbling where you claim to be christian but yet you are actually not following god's commandments yeah and trying those seven like misleading others mm, i see what you're saying or perhaps that's the root of the problem that leads to the vain babblings what does it mean to be vain vain babblings self-centered yeah for those that may not know what vain babblings are so the the greek word is empty i think empty. of it as emptiness too yeah and you know and i within the older you know within the older usage of the word that's probably more accurate you know ecclesiastes vanity of vanities you know all is vanity right it's all empty there's no substance to it right but we're called to produce fruit and this is fruitless right it's or it's hollow fruit it's it's what it's hollow fruit it's, it's rotten an, fruit it, 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 <laughs> it, it, it's an apple skin with nothing inside of it there you go <laughs> that reminds me of an episode of get smart <laughs> Chaos developed a little bug which ate out the insides of potatoes and kumquats and whatnot. <laughs> That's a bum day when you're hungry and you go to grab a bite and nothing there, right? And that's kind of what it would be like in the end when Jesus returns and you think you're going to get that great big reward and then it's empty. Right. Yeah. What would the but, oppositions be? This is avoid oppositions also. Does it say oppositions of something? The King James says oppositions. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, it does. I just skipped the line. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oppositions of science, falsely so called. What do you think, Rachel? Lots and nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see that as being very applicable to our current time. It's as a very possibly controversial subject there's the science around this current virus and there's counter science and there's another opinion and there's another opinion and I was thinking that could be very applicable to what's going on like just so much and there's so much conflict there's that something is definitely not correct so that's what came to my mind when I read that part of the verse When I read this, I thought, and you've got the Greek and Roman cultures, and they loved to debate. They were philosophers, and they just wanted to get together and just expand on all this knowledge. And I don't know that it ever went anywhere. In or, 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 or perhaps argue for the sake of arguing. Exactly, right? That is a debate. That's the goal of the debate. I don't think it was ever to really win sometimes. <laughs> but if you're debating without rancor or calling names or pulling someone down, that sounds like it could be a possibly good use of your time. 
of of course, in in the context that we're talking about, and I think that is it Acts seventeen is Paul's you know dis- sermon on Mars Hill, and you know ev- everybody showed up to listen, but nobody was swayed by it, even though you know he he, he had good arguments, but people people didn't show up to be didn't listen to these debates to be persuaded they showed up effectively you know because it was their version of reality television or you know what have you it was entertaining for them it was entertaining but 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 they weren't looking for substance in the debate and they got a lot said this there and that's not to say that there wasn't a lot of actual factual science being evolved and coming out of these things. I don't want to give that impression either, but I think the majority of it, like we said, is has a different mission and a different goal. Do you know what the word science meant at that time to people? So what? I'm I'm going to go out on a limb here and make a statement. I'm that may or may not be right, but I'll say it with confidence. So the Greek word is noseos, right? Which in the general sense just means knowledge. But I think that Paul is driving at a more direct so-called contrary doctrine. Um, Have we all heard of the Gnostics? Okay, so the Gnostics were this group that effectively believed that Jesus didn't come bodily that he was just this like spirit being right so there wasn't actually a physical resurrection that occurred that's kind of their distinguishing doctrine as i understand it and i think that paul is driving at this particular doctrine and john who would have i i would assume that john the disciple became the pastor at Ephesus after Timothy. And John really talked a lot about this in his letters, about this, you know, about the the failings or the the false claims of the Gnostic doctrine. So evidently Timothy didn't manage to get rid of, you know, get rid of it entirely. But I think that's what Paul is driving at when he says, you know, so avoiding profane and vain babblings and the oppositions of, you know, falsely, you know, so-called knowledge, which is false. And I, I, I suspect that that's more what Paul is directing at because he's saying, yeah, it's knowledge, but it's not, it's actually false knowledge. So I don't think that he's so much driving it, you know, it's like science or, you know, what people went out to experiment because that would be real knowledge right? It might not necessarily have, you know, obvious spiritual applications, but it's still true. Whereas Paul is specifically saying this is, you know, false knowledge. They, they, it it calls itself knowledge, but in, in reality, it's false. Yeah. I was just thinking in the, in the way of, we even see it today, people bring the world into the church instead of the church into the world. And I'm thinking at that time, you have all of that, uh, like we said, those debates, it was, it was their entertainment. And I could see that milking its way into church life, right? Um, but that's a good point about the Gnostics. I didn't really, I don't know a whole lot about that. So thank you. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I'm, I'm not an expert here. So take anything I say with a grain of salt. But... That's why we study to show ourselves approved, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Keep learning. All right, let's move on to 21. Uh, some of these people, like uh, apparently, were professing but have erred concerning the faith. What do you think about that? Shows there's truly a problem, right? It's already affected someone's salvation. So, wait, are they saying? So in 20, he was saying, avoid the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. 
And so is he saying in 21 that if you do not avoid these things, no, I think by so. professing <laughs> these things, some have strayed. Is that what it's saying? I, the, somebody, people, who, oh, sorry, Jonah, go ahead. The way that I read it, and I don't know what version you're reading out of, Lauren, but so they, they, the King James says, avoid the oppositions of science falsely so-called which some professing have erred concerning the faith. So he's, okay. he's, he's elaborating on the dangers of this false knowledge. Okay. So if you don't avoid this, this is going to. It, it can, lead... It'll lead people astray. Okay. Gotcha. When I was reading it, I read it. It's already led people astray. Right. Which some professing have erred, not will err, have erred. Right. He's Paul is saying this is a problem right now. It's not a problem that you can stop. You need to address it now or it's going to get worse. Does that make sense? He's saying that those who those who have um, the opposition to science have falsely so called. You could say it's false. They're making too much of their knowledge. So they've erred professing faith really really messed up paraphrase <laughs> well when you have science often it doesn't it contradicts biblical principles and theories and truth right it can uh, yeah often not always but um i think that is part of it so it's a, a confusion and when you bring more confusion in, it often leads you astray in error, right? And I think it's a blend of that. It's a blend of the vain babblings. It's a blend, a blend of the people who are just in opposition for whatever reason. Um, it's led certain people astray. We had those two people named earlier on, remember? And he said, They've aired so much, my, you know, at this time I have to let them go because there's nothing more at this point we can do for them, right? Their salvation has gone off track, unfortunately. And so I think that might be a reference back to them even, maybe. It's a point you don't want to be at, right? Definitely. Especially if you're continuing to try, I mean, if you're professing, these are people professing to be followers and holders of truth, but yet they're off track. That's not a good place you wanna be, right? Because if you're gonna do that, you just- No, it isn't. Why profess? Just be a non-Christian, I guess, at that point. Yeah, I've actually found two examples earlier on in the book. Um, so the first example is actually um, verses five and six of the first chapter, which reads, now the end of the commandment is love out of a pure heart and a good conscience and faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling or vain disputation. So in that sense, you know, again, we're seeing Paul wrap back around full circle. So he starts off the book, you know, listing out some problems and some, and then the middle of the book is him addressing how to deal with those problems and other problems that Timothy is going to encounter. And then the, the last chapter is Paul basically resummarizing what he's already said. Um. And then the second example is, yeah, with Hymenaeus and Alexander says. Um, They're the ones with the shipwrecked faith, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. And the verse and preceding that verse 19, holding faith and a good conscience. So he's again reiterating verse six there, which some having put away concerning faith have made a shipwreck. So. And. Again, so Paul is laying out all of these different ways that people can get off course, right? Either for, by vain disputations or 
false knowledge or just by putting away your conscience, right? So in a sense, we're supposed to learn from the mistakes of others would be ideal. So Paul is laying out what other people do poorly so that we don't repeat their mistakes. And then he ends, grace be with thee. It's a good way to sum it up. <laughs> I was reading, or I am in the middle of reading a book um, called 1000 Gifts by Ann Voskamp. And she said, what did she say about grace? She defined grace, and I don't know where she got this definition, but uh, it was like grace, she said, was the free and ready favor of God. And it was just, it just framed it in a different way than I've framed it before. Um, I've never thought of grace as like favor, but why not? And like ready and like ready favor, like, like God is eager uh, to bestow grace upon us. Yeah, grace, that means favor from the Latin uh, gratia. It connotes a free readiness, a free and ready favor. Anyway, so it was, yeah, I, it was something that stood out to me. And I mean, I have to chew on it a little bit more, but I've just never thought of grace like that. Yeah, that Greek word for it is charis. If I said that right. Mm. And yeah. And it, it was exactly what you said. A joy, liberality, pleasure, thanks, worthy. And the acceptable benefit, favor, gift. And I like that it's a manner or an act also. There's an actual act put behind that. When God gives us that grace. He doesn't leave us alone, does he? Even when we're off track and don't know where we're going, we're blind and running around in circles. <laughs> He's there. He can lead us back. But we have to be willing. Right? And they yeah. finish with amen. Not in my version. It doesn't in yours? Anson's got the abridged version. <laughs> <laughs> I have an IV. Hmm. Rather, that's what Beck's Bible has. I'm borrowing it from him. Does anybody even know what amen means? So be it. With a little bit more enthusiasm. <laughs> I hope with a lot more, right? Firm. It's trustworthy. It is sure. I mean, there is nothing going to swerve this one this way or that way. It is fact, right? That's beautiful. And that's what God is. It's interesting. I've just been going over. Paul ends every one of his letters, except for one, with some variation on grace be with you. You know, and sometimes you'll throw other stuff in there. You know, grace be with you and the love of God abide with you forever. You know, something like that. But there's only one. Oh, I missed it because he hides it back a little ways so even i thought that romans he didn't end with that but romans chapter 16 has 27 verses verse 24 is the grace of our lord jesus christ be with you all amen and then he doesn't end to god only wise be glory through jesus christ forever amen and then he's done so you know that phrase it it it, it, it i i think we should I, I would hesitate to read too much meaning into that phrase being directed specifically at Timothy or at the you know Church of Ephesus. I, it's something that's broad. It's applicable to everybody. And in some sense, there's a message in that as well, right? In that, you know, and I, I, Paul did a lot to overcome this misconception of the jews but the jewish church well the the early christian church was predominantly jewish right and we see the 
hesitancy of the Jewish Christians to affiliate too readily with Gentile Christians. But I, and perhaps Paul is just trying to drive this point home by saying God's grace is for everybody, right? It's not restricted to one individual people group. Yeah, it's not a club. Well, it is a club, but it's got an open door on it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I should say maybe not a click. Yeah, maybe. Thing. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All are definitely welcome to join. It's interesting to me how he flips from saying what not to do and into grace be with you. Just one sentence. Like a college student writing their essay and then suddenly realizing they approach their 500 word limit. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's kind of what I was thinking. <laughs> like, okay, I said everything I wanted to say. I'm going to stop this right here. <laughs> well, I think, you know, it's also a, a form of a, a blessing, too. You know, like, here's the mission, here's what you need to do grace be with you right right this this is basically paul ending his letter with sincerely yours exactly yeah right or, or whatever variation you use you know it's kind of funny i'm 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 in the process of writing cover letters and basically all cover letters have the exact same template right and they and they you know so it starts off with a common salutation and then the ending is almost always some variation on sincerely yours or you know whatever Right. And, and it doesn't really it, grace be with you. <laughs> right. And it doesn't really change it. In, in Paul's case, his endings do have a little, a little bit of variation in there. Right. So, and I, I haven't done enough of a study to, you know, to grasp the, the implications of those variations from letter to letter. But I think for somebody that really wanted to get into the weeds, that could be an interesting study. Okay. Just another layer the Bible has for us, right? To explore. You never get bored, you never get tired. I don't think we'll ever run out of things to look for in, in scripture. That was a good study, you guys. And I'm looking forward to Second Timothy. We made it through First Timothy. <laughs> Jake's gonna be so sad. He's gonna be bummed he missed it. How long did that take us? Like, when did we actually start this last year? Was it during? It was during. During COVID. It was after COVID started, right? I think. No, we started it before COVID. We started with Timothy before COVID? Just a little bit. Really? Mm -hmm. We were in person doing First Timothy? Just for a little bit. So I, I. I, I joined when we started chapter four and that was back in August. <laughs> so if we extrapolate backwards. Look at the, I mean, how often do you get a chance to dive that deep into scripture? Right. Well, I think we went faster before Jonah joined. I was going to oh. say literally August. <laughs> that's like seven months. No, that's, that's, Oh my word! Eight months, <laughs> eight months on months. two chapters. <laughs> no, three it's chapters, four, five, and six. Four, five, and six. Oh, okay. Oh, phew. Okay. <laughs> oh, that makes it all better. That's totally fine. <laughs> as long as it's not too. Oh, good grief! Oh, wow. So, what was last week's joke? It was the why didn't Noah go fishing? I think I know this. Does anyone else want to give it a try, Lauren, Rachel? I heard the sneak peek, so I can't say. <laughs> the only thing I can think of is all the fish were too big. <laughs> he didn't have any room to embellish after the fact. <laughs> Think about the animals on the ark. 
He didn't need any fish. Think about the number of animals on the ark. And the bait. <laughs> you only had two worms. <laughs> and, he couldn't, and he couldn't use them up without potentially... <laughs> Taking out the extinct, making that species extinct. <laughs> yes, but oh my have... gosh, that's the best one thus far. I love it. Really? Worms have multiple I, I guess it, to each his own. <laughs> Worms have multiple I I'll try and outdo Jonah. Where's the first baseball game in the Bible? For next week. These are hard. <laughs> My brain doesn't work that way. What did you say, Rachel? We I only heard a part of what you had said. <laughs> but worms have multiple hearts. <laughs> it's split it in half. That that's yeah. true, but you would still have a worm of two worms of the same sex. Oh, maybe. True. I don't know how that part works. <laughs> That part of worms. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Tell the joke one more time. Something about a baseball game. Where is the first baseball game in the Bible? Okay. Well, stay tuned. Come back next Wednesday and we'll find out. Is it at Meribah where Moses struck struck out two times? No, it's oh. closer to the beginning. Is it? That's a good one.